hope you're having a great new year so far. Uh, it's been a cold new year here in Illinois, but it's, uh, it's a new one. And so today I want to just kind of give you a little history. Some of you who are new in the life of the church, maybe in the last year, really don't know much about me. And, and for this sermon to make sense, you need to know a little bit about me and the history with, my, with the church here. Um, I came to Great Oaks uh, in, in July 1st of 2002. That's a long time ago, and uh, 15 and a half years ago. And uh, I came then, and I was the only staff person. So I was the lead pastor, the children's pastor, the everything pastor in the church back then. Uh, the church at that point was meeting down in the in the what used to be the elementary school, no longer the elementary school. It's a uh, special ed school, some other things. And we were meeting down there for a year or so, and then we moved to the middle school. And eventually, four years later, we moved here into this facility uh, and bought it. But at the time, we only had, when I first came, I remember the first few weeks, uh, we had like 120 people there. Um, that fall we grew a little bit and we continued to grow and we began, began to add staff about two and a half years later. Pastor Dan, he saw up here, came in about uh, three years into the ministry. Uh, Pastor Nate came in about a year later. Pastor Chris about a year later. We kept growing. Our church was growing. We got into the building. We uh, had some vis visibility finally and so that began to happen and, and we grew. We had a leap from like 300 to 500 in attendance in about a two-year period and then uh, we continued to grow gradually over that next few years and, and when we saw God doing a lot of things here at Great Oaks in his community. But, um, and I want to say that because I want to fast forward a few years from 2002, 2003 to 2015. About uh, three years ago, um, I began to experience something in my life that changed my trajectory and really changed where we are as a church as well. Uh, even though we'd had multiple staff, consistent growth, and everything looking good on the outside, and it wasn't necessarily bad on the inside, it, it was just me that was, uh, that was dealing with some stuff. I'd been leading on empty in a real sense. Uh, it was through a journey, uh, I was that journey through the season of life of uh, what I've come to know as burnout and depression. That, uh, that challenged me to, uh, to have some changes in my life. And I had a great leadership team that recognized that as well. I'd already been talking with them about three years ago about a transition plan. I, I believe that churches that are healthy need to have a healthy transition plan, not just have me leave and as a lead pastor and then have this, this gap in between and then, then have this, uh, this time when somebody else new comes in. I think there needs to be an overlap so there could be some of the DNA transferred. So I've transferred some DNA. No, no, we didn't do that. Uh, to Pastor Jack. But anyway, um, uh, but the thing is, is this, this, this time of burnout and, re uh, and recalibration that I was telling you radically has changed my lifestyle, my values, my goals in regard to life. And also, one of the things I, I found, I didn't have passion for ministry. And um, so, uh, and really passion for life as well. And so, uh, the signs were all around me, but I didn't recognize them until I read a book, and I shared some of that back uh, May uh, 22nd of 2016. I shared a sermon called Leading on Empty, where we shared, uh, shared if you were here, you heard that, uh, shared about where I was personally. Uh, it surprised many people because I was good at image management. I was good at coming up on Sundays, sharing messages, uh, looking like everything was good. But people in leadership began to realize some things uh, in my life. Nothing, nothing bad, but just not good in regard to my own desires and, and my own leadership. Um, and also my love for God had not abandoned me during that time. My marriage was stable. It's never been unstable. Uh, and the ministry was healthy here, but I still had no idea how to confront what I'll call the silent predator of depression and burnout that was going on behind the scenes. And as a senior pastor, uh, one of the things, and it happens with all staff, but senior pastors particularly that teach every week, Sunday comes every week. Do you know that? 
And so all my life was bookend around teaching every week. For 28 years of my life, 13 in Virginia and 15 here, I basically taught about 80% of the Sundays uh, twice a week for all those years. And so it, it caused a toll upon me. And so uh, I was starting to do that. The leadership team, though, finally came to me and said, Pastor uh, Bill, we want, you, we want you more than anything to finish well. We want to transition. We want to have a transition plan. But we've come up with an alternate plan. Instead of waiting until like now, to begin the process of looking for a new lead pastor, and that would be now today. This is kind of the original plan. Uh, not today, but this time of year, uh, at this time of season, you know, when I'm like a year or so out from retirement. Um, they came to say, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's go ahead and start now. And this was in May of 2016. Let's start now to form a pastor search team and uh, begin the process of looking for a new lead pastor. And then when that happens, we'll transition you in until you retire. Uh, as a connections pastor, which was a role we'd already want to hire a person for. And so we took that off the, offline, and then I became a connections pastor. So uh, that began a process of about a year of pastor search team going through people, 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 and a lot of, a lot of work, and, um, and then getting to the place where um, uh, we called Pastor Jake, um, came on board May of this past year, 2017. So that's kind of the history, okay? Um, now, I say all of that because uh, although I never doubted my calling or my gifting, what began as a joy in my life, I mean, for years and years and years, my passion was ministry, my passion was leading, my passion was teaching, all those things. Um, I know that I came to a place in my life, and this is what I want to talk to you about today, about how not to do this, okay? A uh, place in my life where it began to drain me. Those things that used to fill me up drained me, and it can happen in your life as well. Uh, but I didn't know what to trim, what, what I could do. Uh, people were coming to Christ at Great Oaks in spite of how I felt, you know? That was good news, you know? It's not about me. Uh, it's about God. Uh, but gradually... Uh, I, I just came to a place where I said, we need to do something else. So the, that, that plan, the leadership team, when they came to me and said, hey, uh, after some tough conversations, they said, uh, let's do this. Will you, are, are you up for this about let's go ahead and start this process? And, 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 uh, and then, and then uh, you step into a staff position. It took me about five minutes uh, to say, yes! You know, no, I'd wake you up now if you were asleep. Okay. But, the, you know, it really, I was something that I was looking forward to. I needed a change. I needed something because life was not uh, going as well as I'd like for it to. And the passionless life is not a good life, I want to tell you that. And my continual prayer during that time was uh, two verses of Scripture. One was out of, uh, out of Psalm 51.12. I prayed this almost every day. Psalm 51.12 says, give me back the joy of your salvation. Keep me strong by giving me a willing spirit. Give me back the joy of my salvation, part of the passion in life. Because if you don't have passion, you don't have any joy. Joy is not about, it's not happiness. Okay, joy is inner, uh, 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 it's, it's something that's inside you that happens in spite of all the stuff that's going on around you, okay? And then another verse that was really meaningful to me that kind of directed what I was doing, and we'll talk about not this verse, but about something about this later, and about, I'm really cool, the ladies, the ladies thing that's this Tuesday is really about prayer as well, is this, uh, this verse in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done, all that he has done. Then you will experience, then you will experience, then you will experience, okay? Then you need to set up more. God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Then his peace will guard your hearts and minds 
as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, we could spend, uh, teach that sometime, okay? Okay, it's a great verse. Oh, you probably have a thousand times. Anyway, the, the, maybe not a thousand, but at least once. Okay, okay. Anyway, it's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It's something I prayed over and over and over again. On that May of 2016, I, I, I shared a sermon with uh, those of you who were here called Leading on Empty. And that was the transition point. We talked about the transition plan and all that happened. And uh, it's kind of ironic this morning to me that uh, back actually before I went on sabbatical, Pastor Jake talked to the staff about, you know, we're going to do this series, you know, Pastor Bill, will you lead it? And I'm going like, wow, it's ironic. The guy that's lost his passion is going to lead us to do the kickoff sermon on, on passion. And, and so I thought about how I'm going to structure this. And, and so what I did is I thought, well, you know, who else to share with you how to lose your passion? than somebody who knows it firsthand, okay? And I hope you never experienced that, but some of you have experienced it, and so I'll tell you, you know what it means. There's no joy in life. You, I, I went through counseling, okay? No, no mind telling it. You might need counseling. You know, I needed counseling. I went to a really strong Christian counselor to Antioch Group and had a great experience there with Dr. Stephen Hammond there. And, and, and as I went through there, the thing was, is that he, he looked at me and he did some stuff and he said, he said, okay, let me give you this little thing. It's about, uh, there's three different things he did, but one I remember in particular is called life satisfaction. And, and when I got it back, it's on a scale of zero to like 10. 10 is like you have really a lot of satisfaction. Zero is like nothing. I was a zero. And uh, it just like, I knew I was at the bottom and I needed to do something. So uh, I want to talk with you this morning about how to be, how to, how to lose your passion but then how to begin to journey back to a life of purpose and meaning, which leads to passion in your life. And I want to warn you, there is no quick fix. This is not like I give you a pill or I read a verse or I do this one thing and everything returns. No, it's a process. And as I've read from other pastors, other people who've gone through the same struggles I have, Wayne Quadera in the book, Leading on Empty, uh, Carrie Newhoff, who's a, a pastor that's well-known in America who, who's gone through the same things, it's a process of, of a journey back to God. And what is passion anyway? Well, passion, this is a definition of passion. Passion is something that arouses enthusiasm. Or another definition is it's an intense driving feeling or conviction. Now, do you have that in your life? Do you have something that just really just drives you, that's really you love? It's not, I'm not talking about your hobby, okay? You know, uh, whatever that is. I'm talking about something that's really the driving thing that helps you, that re you really drives you toward doing something. It may not be your job because a lot of people don't like their jobs. In America, I think the latest survey shows that 80% of people in America really don't like what they do for a living. It doesn't give them passion, which is kind of sad. Because we oftentimes, what we do is we have a job because it makes money, not because it really drives us passion. And I would say we need to think about that. But anyway, uh, that's something else. That's another sermon. But the thing that I have been doing over the last year and a half plus since we went, began this process on, on May of 2016 is I began to have to rethink what was important to me, uh, what God had asked me to do. And I had to begin to ask myself some hard questions about how I would restructure my life to concentrate on these priorities in what I call my final stretch, okay? You just got to be realistic, you know, because uh, the reality is, is that we don't live forever, you know? Some, if, you're, if you're 15 or 20 or whatever, you think you're going to live forever. Well, you're not. Uh, 
as you get into your 60s like I am uh, and get toward what I call retirement here really quick, uh, it, it begins to realize we have less, I have less life ahead of me than behind me. Now, it's not a morbid thought, okay? It's not a morbid thought at all. It's a reality that we have to understand, but it's not, I want to finish well. And so the one thing that the, the, the best thing that the leadership team did for me, and I'm glad they're doing it for all the staff, is uh, eventually as they go through this, is they gave me a sabbatical. A sabbatical is an extended Sabbath. It actually comes out of Leviticus 25. If you read Leviticus 25 in the Old Testament, I'm sure you love to read Leviticus. It's such a, it, it, just great, but no, it's not really. It's really hard. But in Leviticus 25, it talks about, uh, 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 and I will tell you this, that in, in Leviticus 25, it was every seventh year, they took a whole year off. Uh, you know, that's what a sabbatical was back then, uh, letting God, resting before God, the fields resting before God. You just read that and you figure it out later. But basically what a sabbatical was is a time of rest and renewal. It's a time of rest and renewal. And so what I decided to do, and this is not your normal thing, the rest of the staff will be taking uh, 40-day sabbaticals every three years. Uh, and so that's going to be cool. And so this year, Pastor Nate, Pastor Dan will be taking a 40-day sabbatical, get some time away to refocus. But they gave me, since I've been here, you know, a long, 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 long time, they gave me a three-month sabbatical. So I was special. And uh, I felt really special because of that. So we got away, and what we did is um, I did, t- my sabbatical was focused on two things. It was focused on rest, which I knew I needed but it was also focused on something else. It was focused on relationships. My relationship with God and my relationship with my spouse and with my extended family. Because as I've lived here in Illinois for the last 15 plus years, I've been kind of far away from family. My parents live 12 hours away in Roanoke, Virginia. My sisters and uh, live, uh, uh, siblings live in Virginia and Pennsylvania. Uh, our kids even in the last few years live in Fort Wayne and Knoxville, Tennessee. So it's been far away and we haven't had a lot of time with that. So I wanted to spend some extra time. So we divided our sabbatical into two parts. And so I thought I'd show you some pictures this morning real quickly to kind of show you, you know, kind of where we hung out. Not everything, and I wanted to do this to warm you up too, okay? Okay, this is Vicki and I, and this is my wife and I, and uh, she's the lovely one. And, uh, and we, were, we were in on a place called Marco Island in uh, Florida, down, down south of Fort Myers, uh, Naples. We have some really good friends that we have become over the last 15 years like best friends with. They own a condo there, and they told us, Bill, you can use it all you want to, as long as you want to except my, my brother is coming Thanksgiving. You've got to get out before Thanksgiving. And so I said, oh, I would have spent the whole sabbatical there if possible, but I didn't. So anyway, we spent six weeks on Marco Island, and this is like at a little restaurant there. We were at an outdoor restaurant. Okay, next picture. Uh, this is the, actually the condo, the lanai, looking out at the ocean. You see it is oceanfront. Okay, literally, you walk there, walk to the private beach, and there's a little tiki hut over to the left there. That's where I hung out almost every day. Okay, next picture. Uh, this, is the, uh, this is in the middle of Mar- Marco Island. Uh, one of the things that's important, and I'll tell you this, one of the best things my counselor told me about depression and burnout is you need lots and lots of exercise. You need to exercise vigorously. And so I, I'd always exercise some, but I've gone, become an exercise fanatic in the last year and a half. Uh, he- Part of that's because of a friend of mine who helps me work out, and the other is because I just realized it's helpful. So this is actually a lake, and, and around the lake, you see the path here around it. It's actually paved, and it goes, it's eight-tenths of a mile around that lake. So every day, my wife would go over there, and I would go over there, and we would spend time, and I would run and work out 
and do all kind of crazy stuff. And she would do, she would walk like 12,000 miles. And uh, she, she's a little crazy walker. And I would just run for like three or four miles every day and do crazy stuff there. So that was a great place to go. Okay, next picture. This is the beach with the, per, the little tiki hut. You can't see it's kind of down over the, the wall there. But every day after we go running, what I would do is I'd go and stay, spend a couple hours, and Vicky would do the same thing. A couple hours sitting there, some chairs, you can't see them there, but sitting there looking out at the ocean uh, and also spending time with, in God's Word, reading God's Word, uh, praying and then journaling and just being quiet. It's amazing how quiet you can be if you just do it, okay? Next picture, uh, this is the uh, at night we would go over down to the main beach on Marco Island and we would walk. Well, I have a, a Garmin on that tells me how far I've walked. No day that I have less than eight miles. Uh, between the running and the walking uh, since we were down there. That's why I lost 10 pounds while I was down there. And, uh, and you know, did that as well. So uh, this was a beautiful place. We walk on the main beach, which is down a little bit further. Uh, we took a lot of, every evening at sunset is what we would do. And this was like just talking and walking for a long time, relational. Okay, next picture. Um, the second part of the uh, sabbatical was, uh, the last six weeks was relational. And we spent a week with our, with our son and his wife in Fort Wayne, a week with our daughter and her husband, and, and, and both of these have kids, uh, grandkids. And then we also visited some friends of ours we hadn't seen. We went to the Carolinas and spent a, a couple, uh, one week actually visiting with some friends of ours. And these are some of our best friends, uh, Ricky and Beth McCoy. Uh, he, was, uh, he was just retired two years ago. He's way too young to retire, but he retired two years ago from General Mills as an upper-level manager, and now he's a Christian counselor. And uh, that's what he does. And uh, so we spent a, a night, just one night with them. We're going to get back with them soon because we just love these folks. And they're great, uh, just solid Christians who love God and help plant a church. And they're doing all kind of crazy things, you know. But uh, th- that's who we spent some time with. And then the other part of the last part of sabbatical was with family. And this is a picture that we took at Christmas. Uh, uh, if you see my wife and I on the left-hand side and our two kids, our son Keith, our daughter Kara right down, and then our, our, my sister and her husband, our sister and her husband, our sister and her husband, and that's all our siblings. And that was the first time in four years that all of us got together. Uh, that's a shame. It will not happen again. Um, so I simply said that that's what sabbatical was all about. It was about rest, relationships, connecting with God, and being quiet before God. Now, I need to say this to you. God wants you to be quiet and listen, but Satan doesn't. And if you be quiet and listen to God and you get in a place where you decide you're really going to do this, Satan will do everything that's power to distract you. While we're in Florida, and I'm going to say this really quickly, while we're in Florida, the, the first week we were there, the end of the first week we were there, we got a call. My dad, Vicky and I are the oldest of our, of, of our siblings, and we... We got a call. Both our dads are still alive. Both our moms are still alive. My dad's 85. Vicky's dad's 85. Neither one's in good health. And we got a call that my dad had had a seizure and was back in the hospital. My first thought was, I need to jump in a plane and head to Virginia. But my mom said, no, you don't have to. He's, he's stable. Da-da. But he was in the hospital for three weeks. Every day, I was on the phone with my mom, talking to her, 
uh, praying with her, uh, crying with her, thinking of things. And my two sisters that lived there were constantly calling me as well. So, you know, Satan will distract you by even things like that. You know, it wasn't, even though it was a restful time and a peaceful time was that. And if that was not bad enough, another week later than that, you guys had here, I had a major uh, rainstorm and you had like uh, several inches of rain over about two day period. I don't know if you remember this middle of October, that's second week in October. Well, I get a call my neighbors who are watching my house. I have the world's greatest neighbors. Okay. Chris and Stacy Teller are the greatest neighbors. If you ever want a neighbor that's perfect, I mean, these people are like, I want to put them on a pedestal because they went way above beyond the call of duty, but they would check our house out. They called me and they said, Bill, we just hate to tell you this, but we got in there and your sump pump had cut off. It's stuck. And then your backup sump pump, which I thought, you know, this battery, it was, it was, it rained so long and so hard that the battery backup went off too, and that was filled. And we had two inches of water in the basement, okay? Well, the good news was, and that's another distraction. I hate to tell you that. If you're in Florida and your house is flooding in Illinois, that's a distraction. But the reality was is that, you know, it, it was the insurance. I got on the phone with the insurance person. I have a great guy in the church here who's a plumber who went over and fixed stuff. And then I got a restoration company to come in and do all the things my insurance company covered, you know, get it ripped out. I, I just got the next two months now to put things back together, you know. Uh, so if any of you, are, you know, want to do that, just let me know. Um, <laughs> painters, drywall people, and floor people. Okay. But anyway, that's just, you know, ministry opportunities, all I'm saying, you know. <clears throat> but then that happened the second week we were in Florida. And then a week later, oh no, two weeks later, the end of uh, October 1st of November, I get a call. Uh, Vicky gets a call from her, mo- from her mom. Her dad had flatlined on the way to the hospital. They had shocked him back to life. And, uh, and he was in the hospital for two weeks. So we had all that going on. It's distractions. And it was like stuff. It's life. It's just life. Somebody asked me, how was my sabbatical? You know what my response is? It was a mixed bag, just like life is. It's just the way it is. And then we spent the last six weeks, like I say, in relationships. We had some great times with our kids, great times with friends. And, but every, the, the one thing that was consistent through all of this was every day, every day, I would go and I would find a place on the beach or in a coffee shop. I'm a coffee shop fanatic. You know, I just carry this around everywhere. And, uh, and we'd get the, I'd get there and I would just be quiet. If it was a coffee shop, I had headphones in, you know, so all the distractions around me weren't there. If it was on a beach, I didn't have to do that. But I was getting quiet before God, and that was the consistent time of listening to God and understanding what he wanted to say to me. Because I began to realize, as, as I reflected upon and spent the time reflecting upon life, that the primary cause for my burnout and depression was busyness and not reflecting on life. The unexamined life is what Socrates calls it. Uh, he said it this way. Socrates said this. He says, the unexamined life is not worth living. And, and I think that's true. We need to examine what life's all about because if not, what will happen is we'll get so busy and everything around us will pull us in so many directions that we'll go nuts. And I see that as happening. I think that's Satan's greatest tool in our society. As a matter of fact, one, one uh, person said it this way. Paul Washer said it this way. One of the greatest attacks of the enemy is to make you busy, to make you hurry, to make you noisy, to make you distracted, to fill the people of God and the church of God with so much noise and activity that there is no room for prayer, there is no room for being alone with God, there is no room for silence, there is no room for meditation. And I found it to be true. I found in my own life it was really easy, and as a pastor, as we can all admit to this, that sometimes we can get so busy doing God's work 
studying the Bible for a sermon, praying with people that we don't do it for a, in, a, in a personal relationship with God. And God wants me to have the personal relationship, not study for a sermon, not study. I mean, that counts for something you do, but it doesn't count in your personal relationship. And so God wants us to do those things. And so I found that had been true over the, as the church grew and as it got more staff and everything, it just became more and more distracting from me personally. Now, so when I was uh, on sabbatical, one of the things I constantly did every day is I read scripture and I journaled and I prayed and I read lots of quotes too. I like quotes, you know, cool quotes. It really drives me in a lot of ways. So here's just four out of 500 verses. I didn't want to put them all up here today because you'd be here for like five hours. Uh, four verses that kind of stood out. And I want you to ask, uh, tell me what theme is in here. I think you'll notice it right away. Uh, that I read and I wrote down during my sabbatical. Uh, Psalm 37.7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Exodus 14.14, 14, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Zechariah 2.13, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. And then our, my favorite man out of Zephaniah, a book that you read all the time, I'm sure, Zephaniah. Y'all even know Zephaniah was in the Bible? I mean, yeah, it's one of those obscure uh, minor prophet guys. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guest. Any theme there? Any word that keeps popping up? Silent. Be still, that whole thing. And let me tell you, that is not the only verses. I've gotten written down dozens and dozens of verses that talk about the same thing. And one of the most famous passages, which you can study later, but I'll just tell you about it right now, comes out of 1 Kings verses 18, uh, chapter 18 and 19. 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. One of my favorite guys in the Old Testament, his name is Elijah. And Elijah, just to tell you a story real quickly, if you don't know the story, uh, it's basically a guy who was a prophet, and he was in a, the day he was a prophet in the kingdom where Ahab was the king and Jezebel was the queen. And what happened was, is they had turned far away from God. They pushed the people far away from God, and they were worshiping other gods, Baal and other gods. And so what, what happened was that God told Elijah, go tell the king that there will no, be no rain in, the, in this kingdom until I tell you to tell them that. And so that's what he did. So Elisha really didn't become a popular guy with Ahab because they've had a drought and the people were just, you know, there, there was no food and all the things were happening. That's what happened. And he, he decided to chase him out of town and he went and he hid for a while, but then he, God told him to go back. And in chapter 19 is when he goes back and he finds his friend Obadiah and Obadiah, his friend, uh, he tells him to go to the king and tell him he's back. Obadiah didn't want to. You can read that about that in the first part of the chapter. But the last part of the chapter is the cool part of the chapter because after all this and after, well, actually after they have this kind of throwdown on Mount Carmel, uh, they, they, they have this thing. You can read about it. You don't need me to tell you about it. You read about it, okay? Just do it yourself, okay? But it's this really cool thing you think would have been the high point in Elijah's ministry. Jezebel gets angry and Jezebel says, if, I, if you're not dead by tomorrow... It'll be over my dead body. Kind of like what she said. She didn't exactly say it that way, but she said close. But the reality is, is she, he says, and so after this great victory over the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, what happens is, is Elijah goes and he's, he gets mad. And this one lady says some nasty words to him and he runs out. Now I'm thinking, man, he just had God on his side doing incredible things. But what does he do? Well, he goes and, he, and, he, and, he, and his ministry is tough. 
And ministry can burn you out. And I think he was burned out at this point. And so what happens is he goes, he goes to this cave and he's there and, and he hears this voice. Elijah hears this voice and it says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, the voice says. And if you read that, basically, when he did, it's just a huge, it's usually important verse in Scripture, uh, verses uh, uh, 9 through 13 of chapter 19 of 1 Kings. And it says, and as he stood there on this place before the Lord, he says, a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, how did God speak? In a low whisper. He, was, it was, he had to be still to hear it. Just another example in Scripture of how God speaks to us. We have to, we have to be quiet. We have to be still. We have to, need to shut up and listen. That's what we need to do. And, and as I was on sabbatical too, one of these th- this, this thought came to my mind as I was reading Scripture one day and I wrote this down and I can't get it out of my mind. Because as I was reflecting on life itself and where I was in life and the big picture of things, uh, James 4.14, I was reading that day. And James 4.14 says this, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You're going, oh, that's such an encouraging verse. I love that verse, you know. No, you don't. I don't want to hear that. I want to think I'm important and I need to be in control and I'm big and in charge, large and in charge, you know. No, I'm not. God says, if you focus on me, you'll realize that you're just a mist, just here a little, little bit of a time. But the thing is, is that's not, that should challenge us to make sure that our time is used wisely. Because the thing that's happened to me in this last third of my life, I guess I'm saying, I'm the front end of the last third, is what I call it, of my life, is the question no longer is, have I been a success? Because in the world's view, Great Oaks is a success. It's grown. It's reached lots of people. But what the question I think about now that's become the driving force of my life, really kind of a passion, is has my life been significant? And there's a big difference between success and significance. Am I doing, have I spent my time on things that matter most? And the only way that we'll ever understand that, the only way that we'll ever know what those things that matter most are is to discover what God's purpose and plan for our lives is. And the only way you'll do how to do that is you'll need to be still and listen. We need to, we're always on the move, always in a hurry. Our society is that way, is it not? We think that what's important is doing, trying everything, doing everything, getting our kids to try everything, do everything. And we're raising a generation of kids that are going nuts because they don't know how to be calm and listen. Or even when we stop and listen, we flip on the TV or the radio and let somebody else's thoughts hurry, uh, fill up our minds as well. So I come to this last point with this one verse of Scripture, okay? One verse of Scripture is all I want you to remember today. Um, how do we then, in the midst of all this, how do, what would I tell you after 36 years of ministry, of being, having the ups and downs of ministry, and then uh, the last three months focusing my attention upon what God has been trying to tell me as I've spent time to listen to God. What would I tell you? How do you recover your passion, or how do you find your God-given passion to start with? Because some of you may not have ever discovered, as Pastor Jake said in the introduction, some of you have never really discovered what your passion is. you just kind of gone with the flow. And that is a disaster. Psalm 4610 has become my life verse. 
I hope it becomes your life first. Psalm 46.10, be still. Be still. You know what that word means? It means cease striving, cease hurrying, be still, be quiet, and know that I am God. And there's a last part of the verse, which you can read as well, but it's, that's what I want to focus on the first part of that verse. Be still and know that I am God. What this text says is that the life revolutionizing impact of God in our life will never be discovered unless we become still and quiet before God. God's will, God's plan, God's voice only becomes real in our life when we're still. It only happened with Elijah in the whisper. It only happened. Uh, think about this. If, if you need more evidence that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that you need to do this, think about the life of Jesus. You know what Jesus did if you read his life in Scripture? He constantly withdrew from people. And as he withdrew, it says, what he did, he went away to be alone with whom? The Father. Don't understand that, how that works. You know, because here's Jesus, son of, son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, getting alone, kind of with himself. The Father. Don't ask me how to describe that. Just talk to Pastor Jake. He'll tell you how it works. <laughs> Set you up, dude. Uh, so anyway. But no, the deal is this, but it's important. For, but I think he does it for one purpose, to show us the importance of getting along with God, if nothing else. And if Jesus needed to be, the Son of God needed to get along with the Father to listen, do you think that we're any better off? Oh, I don't need to do that because I can, I know what, I can read Scripture and know God's will. No. You need to get alone. You need to be still. You need to just, and that's what I'm saying. When I was sitting on a beach, even though I was still and the ocean was some days laughing and some days a little bit crashing, you know, as I was sitting there and I was reading that verse over and over, be still and know that I am God, you know what happened? God almost began to shout at me in the stillness. Say, shut up, Bill. Quit trying to do everything yourself in your own power. You're not in control of Great Oaks. You're not in control of anything, really, other than yourself and what, how you react to things. You can't fix your, the problems your kids are having. You can't fix your, the fact that your parents are, are, you know, at the end of their life. You can't fix that stuff. The one thing you can do is trust me. Trust me. Trust me. See, every day, every day, you and I have to decide who's going to be in control of your life. You are God. It's not a one-time decision. It's, we make that decision to follow Christ, but then we have to make that decision every day. Are we going to do it? And that choice is a battle, and there are things in life that you want to control, and think, think you want to make your own rules, but stress relief always starts with letting God be God. Another uh, commentator uh, said the word be still, and I like this, this illustration. He says the word be still in that verse can actually be translated, literally means take your hands off. Hands off. It says, you know, when you're in a, in a situation, you want to put your hands, we're hands on people, are we not? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got to fix this. Now, women, I'm not a woman, so I don't know if how it works with women, but men, we got to fix it, Okay. Our wives come to us and says, honey, and we think we think we got to fix something. All they want to do is talk to us and let us know how they feel. 
38 years of, minute, uh, of marriage, and I still don't understand my wife when she says stuff like that. You know, I'm thinking, here, she wants me to fix something. She says, no, I just want you to listen. So, guys, just, just my two-minute, 30-second uh, marriage advice, you can't fix it. But God says, you know, he says, take your hands off. Give it to me. And what we do in the Christian life so often is we, this is what we do. We have our hands on a situation. We grab a hold of it with both hands, try to fix it. And when it doesn't do it, we, we take one hand off and we're trying to give it to God, but we're still holding on. And you know what happens? We get torn in two. You can't have hands off and hands on. It doesn't work because you get pulled in two directions. Being still, coming before God means taking your hands off and letting God be God. Doing only what he can do. The number one reason you and I are under stress in our life is because you're in conflict with God. You're trying to control things that only God can control. You can't control your husband or your wife or your kids or or your job or your future or your past or any of the other stuff. You can't control it. The more you do it, the more you try playing God, that puts you in opposition to God. And not only you're going to lose that conflict, you're going to also be incredibly tired and maybe burned out. That's what God wants to tell us. So, so let me, let me just close with a couple things here. Um, and how many of you have heard of the serenity prayer? Anybody heard of a serenity prayer? Ever prayed that prayer? It's a good prayer. It's based on a Lord's Prayer. You've probably only prayed the first four lines. Because there's actually 12 lines in the serenity prayer. You know that? This is what we, the, the first four lines are these. Pop them up there. Here we go. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Isn't that a great prayer? You notice what it's about? God grant me. It's about what we do. You know what the last part of the prayer is about though? You have to read the whole prayer. Okay, here's the last part of the prayer. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all, trusting that he will make all things right. If I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. That's not as cool as the first four lines, is it? But that's the whole prayer. It's basically the first part is about me. The last part is about God and our trusting and giving our lives over to him. See, that's where the power in our life will come when we surrender to God, the very things you've been trying to take control from him. I found this to be true, and this is another quote I found uh, from somebody, and I don't remember even where it's from. I didn't write this down, but uh, something that I, that, I, that I loved when I heard this, uh, it's this. We won't be held accountable for how much we have done. So much, much of us think, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, because I'm going to be held accountable for that, and I'm going to get you know, stars on my crown, and I'm going to be, you know, all this, everybody's going to pat me on the back for what I've done. No, no, no. We, will not be, we won't be held accountable for how much we have done, but for how much we have done of what he has asked us to do. You know that God does not ask you to do everything? He designed you in a certain way. Every one of us is different. And the only way that we can know what God wants us to do is to listen to him. 
It's not sacrifice or what we produce, but it's obedience to what he wants to do in our lives. And so my personal discovery is I will sit and listen for the last three months, and I've done this every day, every day, every day for two hours. I know you don't have two hours every day. You got a little more time. You know, maybe, maybe you do. Turn off the TV, you know, do some other things. Anyway, um, I began to ask myself the question, what are the things in life that are significant that only I can do? if neglected, would affect the rest of my life. Because I want to do things that are significant with my life, and I believe you do too. So here's the four things that I came up with out of everything else that I could have came up with, the things that only I can do, if neglected, would affect the rest of my life. And I believe these actually apply to you as well, okay? So you can borrow them, okay? Because I've I've read these similar things from a lot of other people as well. Number one, a vibrant, growing relationship personal relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number one, and that's number one, is a vibrant and growing personal, not just knowing about God, but knowing God. And the only way you can know God, you can know your spouse, you can know anybody, is by sitting and and listening to them. I made a commitment uh, to God and to my spouse that I would spend more time listening and less time talking. But if I don't talk enough, I won't get my way. I won't prove my point. It's not about that. Number two, a healthy and genuine relationship with my spouse. Healthy and genuine. That means spending time. I mean, I've been married 38 years. And Vicki and I dated for five years before that. So we've been together for a long time. But I'll tell you, it's only gotten better. In these last three months, it's been, you know, as stressful as it's been about, you know, figuring out stuff and going where we're going, it's going like, man, I got to spend time every day nurturing my relationship with my spouse. I just can't take for granted anymore. You know, some days, oh, my wife will understand because I'm doing ministry. Doesn't, Doesn't count. It doesn't count for you either, whatever you do. Because you don't spend time with your spouse and make sure that's the primary. Let me tell you, folks, I didn't put anything about kids here, but let me tell you, the best thing you can do for your kids is have a great relationship with your spouse. Your spouse is number one above your kids. I'm not saying your kids are, are not on the picture, but they're number, they're number two. Number three, and this is something I found out through counseling and through experience, a health, physically healthy body and a creative soul. Folks, if you don't do something to take care of the temple that God gave you, you, it will suffer. And you won't have the ability, the energy, anything to do the things that God wants you to do that will help you to be the person God wants you to be. That's why I've become, it's not like I'm a fanatic. I balance it, you know. But, I, yeah, I work out several times a week. And I, I'm trying to find ways of doing it as little time as possible to get the most results out of it, you know. So I don't go twice a day or anything like that, you know. I mean, Three times a week with Bob is, is crazy enough. So used to do that all the time. Now just once a week, Bob. But anyway, but every time I hear him on my ear, when I was in Florida running around, I think, what will Bob think? <laughs> you don't know. He's just sitting back there. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an incredible friend who uh, spends a lot of time with me. But a physically healthy body and a creative soul. It, it goes hand in hand. And number four, uh, taking time to enjoy life with family and friends. Taking time to enjoy life with family and friends. And that's it. That's my list. Those are the things that God came to me and said to me through my quiet time. These are the priorities you need to have in life. 
Now, what your job is and whatever you do with everything else is secondary to that, to these things. Because you don't have these things, you have nothing that really matters. And you only hear that when you be still and shut up. You want to have a live, live a purposeful, uh, uh, passionate life? You need to be still. And let me tell you, on the beach, God said, be still. But he said it in a strong way. He said, shut up, Bill, and listen to the voice of God. But he won't yell at us, but he will quietly and lovingly guide you like he did Elijah. But you have to slow down, be still, and listen. Nate, you can come out now, okay? I know he's back there somewhere. I'm like, is Bill ever going to tell me to come out? Um, (laughs) There you are. Okay, thank you, man. Okay, he's going to play in a minute. Okay. So, how many of you made, this, we're going to close, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? Anybody here make a New Year's resolution? I don't want you to tell me what it is, okay? But I want to challenge, if it doesn't have anything to do, if it doesn't have God in there, you need to remake it. If it doesn't have God in there, you need to remake it. Because I want to tell you the New Year's resolution all of us need to have for this year. And that is this. This year, I will do a better job of shutting up and listening to God so that he can lead me and guide me and I can do what is significant in life and that is only the things that God wants me to do. If not, you'll listen to voices all out, all around you and they will take you in directions you don't want to go. I'll tell you the good news is that when you listen to God and you spend time, and my wife and I have both done that, God will direct us. A part of the sabbatical for us was you know, getting some direction about the next part of life. And God has given us some very significant, not an answer, answered everything, but he's given us some significant direction about what we're going to be, what, what's the priorities in our life for the next third of our life. And so I, I pray that God will give you that direction if that's what you need in your life today as well. And let me just give you this little really quick plan, quick plan, how to do this. If you want to do this and you're serious about doing this, being still and knowing I'm God, you need to do something uh, which is called a spiritual discipline. So I would challenge you to take a baby step and for 15 minutes, make a commitment, 15 minutes every day, find a place, if you don't do this already, where you read one or two verses of scripture, then you sit and you be still. And you listen for God's voice. Not he will speak to you. If he does, man, let me know. I'd love to hear that, you know. But he didn't speak to me clearly, but he spoke to me through his word. God's, God's will will never con- contradict God's word. And as he did that, I write stuff down. I challenge you just to spend 15 minutes a day being still before God. Now, some of you may need a lot more than that because it'll take you 30 minutes to calm your spirit down so you can listen. I'll tell you that because we live in this crazy world that's got all this stuff going on all, this, all the time and it may take you longer than that. So you, you got to probably, you got to adjust that. But I was challenge you to start with 15 minutes. That's a baby step. And then if you're really serious about it, I talk to you once a week, spend about 30 to 45 minutes maybe once a week. And that's another, another baby step where you spend a little more time with God doing the same thing. And then if you really want to get really bold, then once a month, get away half a day, three or four hours somewhere, wherever is your quiet place. You're going, I don't have a quiet place. Well, you can find one. I didn't share this on the first service, but one of my examples of a person who is creative in regard to finding a quiet place is a lady named Susanna Wesley. She was the father, not the father, the mother of John and Charles Wesley who founded the Methodist Church. She had 19 kids. 
Nine of them died. It's infants. So she still had 10 kids raising up. And every day it says, and I was reading this somewhere, every day she would find a place and she would tell her kids, do not disturb me when I'm with God. And she, they knew when she was with God because she, in the day when she wore the long dress, 17, 18, 1780s, she wore the long dress with the, with the, uh, with the uh, apron that kind of went down. She would go, she would sit, and she'd pull the apron over her head. Isn't that cool? And her kids knew, her kids were incredibly disciplined, so we can do this. It's called parenting. And they said, when, 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 mom, has the, when mom has her in her prayer place, you don't disturb mom, she's with God. And that's what she did. She found a place in the midst of the chaos of 10 kids to do that. So you can find a place. Susanna Wesley could find a place to do that as well. So I challenge you to do that. This morning, we're going to practice that. We're not going to ask you to sing anymore. We're not going to ask you to stand up until you go out the door. But what we're going to do is Nate's going to lead us. He's actually not going to lead us. He's just going to sing a song, and I want you to think about this. And I want you to spend the next three or four minutes of this song just being quiet before God. The words will give you some places to go. But just be quiet before God and allow him to, to listen to him after I pray and, and just and just to begin this process of being still before God, okay? Uh, Nate will give you the, what to do after he finishes the song, and then you go out and this week practice what uh, we just talked about, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love, your goodness to us. We pray that you would allow us this morning, God, to uh, more than anything to realize that you are God, that you love us more than anything. But God, you want to have a personal relationship with us, and you, you're not going to yell at us, God. But sometimes, God, when, when I was quiet before you, I heard you like it was amplified, like you were shouting to me. And I heard it so vividly through your word and, and through, through other people that shared with me that are godly people. God, just thank you for that. And thank you for how you uh, prove yourself time and time again. But God, we have to do our part. And that are, is to take our hands off of the wheel of, or of the of, of the podium of life and, 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 and the things of life and allow you to be God. Because God, that's what you want to do. You want us to trust you fully. And then you'll guide us what to take the next step. But not until we be still before you can we do that, God. If not, we're trying to run out ahead of you and we'll get in all kind of a mess. So thank you, God, for your incredible love. Guide us now as we close the service this day just by spending just a few moments listening to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.